Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s, a time of AMRAs and clamshells, a time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs, a time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of blockbuster video, the Walmart of the video rental industry, the mom and pop video store killer, the corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars who are in the know arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort, a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Talkbuster podcast, one of four shows where you get to listen to me blabber on endlessly about stuff that i like and hopefully my guests like um before i get to who my guest is tonight which is a very special guest um i'd like to do as i always do thanking my 15 dollar or more patrons that is mason christopher finnick patricia chipman hey mom and qk campbell jr who goes as green goblin on twitter and he was on one of the earlier episodes of this show. Um, I'd also like to thank my newest patron, Dan Williams, who is at the Talkbuster Live podcast and who I've known for quite some time. Um, and like a lot of my shows, today's show is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast, your place for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline. Go over there and check those guys out. They're in the midst of their Bootober, which is now September and October this year. And um, uh, Slagathor, who's uh, the wife of the main host there, um, is running her Geeks Who Haunt um, horror movie focused podcast. And I'm on a couple episodes of that season two coming up very soon. So go check them out. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest. Good sir. Tell the world who you are. Hi, I'm Russ Burlingame. I'm a senior staff writer at comicbook.com and the co-host of the Emerald City Video Podcast and Delicious Flavor, a Psych Rewatch podcast. I love it. So, uh, yeah, um, before we get into the uh, podcast proper, give me a quick um, rundown of, you know, how, how you fell into those couple of different gigs. Like, what well, do you got? I in terms of my day job, I fell into I've been I've been writing about pop culture on and off professionally since 1999. Um, it's funny. I actually recently was cleaning my office and I found an invoice the very first time that I got paid money to write about comic books at wizard magazine when i was 19 well, that's and, awesome yeah and and i'm 39 now so I, I i picked up this invoice and i'm like holy crap this is literally more than half my life i'd never thought about it um but uh yeah so i i did wizard when i was 19 i actually i did not get credit for that internship but if you're 19 and you got the opportunity to write for wizard in the 90s you don't say no holy shit yeah are you kidding me yeah 
so uh, the nice thing is I developed a lot of relationships there and friendships that, uh, like, uh, I always tell people, the very first interview I ever did at Wizard was Dan Jurgens. And Wow. Yeah. And Dan and I, uh, for I don't know why, to this day, I don't know exactly what I did because Dan doesn't remember either. But uh, we, we talked, and he called my editor and said something along the lines of, like, hey, I like that kid. Have him call me from now on. And so after I was done with my internship, I continued to get freelance work that I had absolutely no right to because it was like, well, if we want to talk about Aquaman, we got to bring in that dopey kid with the freelance gig. <laughs> oh, man. So you kind of you, you kind of just set yourself right up there almost unintentionally. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And uh, but yeah, I, I've I've worked at a bunch of places. I worked in politics and in like covering politics as a reporter and also writing PR for Ralph Nader during one of the elections. Uh, I did uh, some work at Newsarama for a while and at a site called Comic Related, which doesn't exist anymore. And uh, then I, uh, after Newsarama, I actually was, I was looking to change gears and possibly leave entertainment journalism and go someplace else. But Comic Book, who at the time nobody was paying attention to, but they, they reached out to me and basically said, hey, would you like to come write for us? And I, and I said, well, I would, but the site kind of looks terrible. Um, at the time, it was basically just a clearinghouse for other people's links and uh, right. press releases. And I basically was like, I tell you what, how about if I generate some original content? And if that works for you guys, then awesome and you can afford to like pay me and we can and i can stay on if it doesn't work for you guys then it's just not a good fit and in the back of my head it was perfect because i had like five or six things that i had promised people i would get placed like interviews and previews and stuff that uh, when i left newsarama it was like the the blog was imploding and there was a new group of people coming in to replace a bunch of us who were leaving all at once and so it was that moment of like I left with six things still in my arms that I had to like find a home for. <laughs> and I thought honestly that after, at the end of those six things, I would probably be done. Uh, but I'm here 10 years later. <laughs> and uh, in the time that I've been there, we have, and this is not me saying it's, it's my doing, but just in the time that I've been there, uh, we've gone from having about 15,000 unique monthly v visitors to uh, about 13 million. Oh, geez, uh, man. Yeah. And we are like, we, in July, when Comic-Con happened, we had a month where we beat, like, all the trades. And we were, like, the number four entertainment site that was visited in North America or some crazy thing. Uh, it was nuts. And I'm just sitting here going, yeah, I still have screenshots from when we got our thousandth Facebook like. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you know, this, it, it's crazy how how these things... Like I'm, I'm in the you know upswing of finding a fan base and getting footing and everything, and I I love what I do, and you know this is a hobby for me, you mm -hmm. know. But uh, it's it's crazy like how that can just happen, right? When all of a sudden you yeah. you get into somewhere and you go, did I just see the thing <laughs> that I did like two years ago just get shared by Kevin Smith? Yeah, exactly. Like, what what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know and, what I mean? Like, <laughs> and it's funny, it's uh. Kevin is actually, I know that you're a big fan of his. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I may be one of the very few people in the world who's seen Strike Back in theaters as many times as you. Uh, yes. yes. I actually, uh, so here's a funny story, which I, I got to tell Kevin yesterday because I did an interview with both Kevin and Jay yesterday. 
and oh, you're, uh, you're killing me. Uh, it was it, it was a good day, and I can't talk about much of anything. Uh, no, that's all right. Embargoed, no, that's but, completely uh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I t- I started out, and I was like, you know, I saw Strike Back in the theaters twenty eight times, and wow. a buddy of mine and I we were going to go for thirty seven. Nice, because uh, in in a row. Yeah no, yeah. no movies in between. Well, we did. What we did actually was we did go to every single screening on opening day in one theater, which is <laughs> what originally motivated it. It was this weird thing because we were the Kevin Smith guys, uh, but it was the first day of college when this movie came out. Like here in Syracuse, everybody was going back to school. And my buddy Logan and I basically took off the first day of college and sat in a theater and said, okay, I know everybody's got a crazy schedule. Everybody wants to see it with us. So we're going to be in theater 12 all day. Just come in and find us. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. And after a day, it, it, first of all, I've never had a more fun experience at a movie theater than walking up to the box office that day and saying, hey, we need two tickets for every single screening of this movie in one theater all day long. I the can't believe just like, we didn't think to do that. Uh, yeah, so, but the reason, of course, that I didn't get to 37 is that 9-11 happened, and because Will Ferrell says terrorist a bunch, the movie got pulled. Yep. And and so I, I actually, I related this whole story to Kevin Smith, and he was just like, nobody has ever told me that they tried to see one of my movies 37 times before. That's amazing. And he's like, and I'm going to give you a pass on not making it because, like, history does makes fools of us all. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's, I've, I've seen his live podcast recording. Mm-hmm. like in person and my, my brothers met him and interviewed him. And, you know, my, my brother's gone from it. It was funny, you know, when, when he was in like the Tusk yoga yeah. hosers phase, I know a lot of people kind of stepped away and I, I just, you know, I, I saw a guy wearing his heart on his sleeve in all those movies. It's just like, you're, you're having fun. Just go for it, man. Yeah. And we, we went and saw him do a Jay and silent Bob get old in the midst of that. And, uh-huh. And my brother turned to me at the end and goes, you know, he goes, for everything bad that, you know, I've said about, you know, his kind of recent career turn. Mm-hmm. He's like, it, it's so good to just see that guy just be one of us still up there yeah, on oh, yeah. stage. Like, he'll he'll never stop being that guy. And I, I don't know if you've caught, uh, I, I actually forced the Geeks with Shields guys unintentionally to rewatch all the Kevin Smith films. And we did a director smackdown where this is an idea that they mm-hmm. came up with with my help. Um, we did one for Steven Spielberg, and now we've done one for Kevin Smith, where we basically argued till there was only one film left um, nice. of like which one would stay. Like if you had to make a time capsule, right? Yeah. And um, I won't spoil what movie won, but it was a surprise to them that because they they started off real rough, right? Like if you watch Chasing Amy right now. Mm-hmm. And you've never seen a Kevin Smith movie before, and you have no basis or grounds for when that film was made. That's going to just it. It was a very woke movie for the time, and now you look at it and you go, "Really? Were we being serious?" <laughs> like this? Is, yeah. And, and it just—it's a hard movie. It's still really well acted and well written, but it's like, man, the '90s were a weird time. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, actually one of the things I was—I was just talking to somebody the other day. Uh, we are going to do a series of episodes on Emerald City about Kevin Smith and, and basically just do all of his films uh, in in the next few weeks so that ideally around the time that most people are finally getting to see Reboot, we will be able to kind of talk about all of them in a short period of time. That's awesome. Uh, 
and I will I should say actually because I got we got sidetracked a little bit. Yeah, uh, apologies for that. That's no, what no, I do. no worries. It's <laughs> it's what I do too. So it's not a it's. But uh, yeah, Emerald City Video Podcast is uh, a podcast that is named after Emerald City Video, which is a video store that I used to manage here in the Syracuse area. Awesome. And uh, it's uh, I, I also used to work at uh, Blockbuster. I worked at Movie Gallery for a minute. I worked at Hollywood Video when I was like. 20 and uh coming back from my wizard internship so i've i I did a lot of time in the video industry over the years uh but emerald city was a a really special place because it was like this family-owned store we actually got the george newman award the year that i was that i started managing it which is basically it's from the vsda the video software dealers of america it was for the best store with under 100 100 locations in the country oh yeah and so it was a it was a a great store. It was a great environment. We had like movie props hanging everywhere. Everybody who worked at the store was t- totally a movie nerd. And so at, at one point I, I had wanted to talk. Basically I started a podcast cause I wanted to talk about one specific movie. Cause I was like, you know, this movie doesn't get the credit that it deserves, which is uh, the 2001 Josie and the Pussycats movie. You know, I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. That movie is great. <laughs> It is, and it's funny because I feel like in the time since I started Emerald City, I've seen a lot more appreciation for it, which is probably just because post-Emerald City, people now know me as like a guy who loves the Josie and the Pussycats movie, and so now every time it comes up, people send me the link. Well, it's interesting because uh, the, the Gem and the Holograms movie had a chance yeah. to, you know, if they had done a similar approach, that would have been freaking awesome, like to have also, like... I mean, one of the one of the reasons I think that that Josie did not perform at the box office is because it was it's weird to say that a movie like that is ahead of its time because it's a self-evidently pretty silly movie. But when you look at where a lot of comedies went in the years immediately following Josie and the Pussycats, it is the kind of movie that would have been a success in 2005. But in 2001, nobody knew what the hell to make of it. Well, right. That that's the kind of project that like Chris Miller and Phil Lord would pitch. Yeah, you know, like exactly. the, in like the Twenty One Jump Street Lego Movie vein, with you know what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna make a Josie and the Pussycats movie that's a takedown of Josie and the Pussycats. You're like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like an anti-capitalist screed. Oh, and by the so way, weird. it's about Josie and the Pussycats. Yeah, uh, but so I, I basically I was like, I want to talk about this movie, and I didn't really have anybody to talk about, and so I was like. I wish I could just walk into Emerald City Video and talk to the people who work there. Like, I, even as a customer, I, I wish I could just go in there. And, of course, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and so I, I called up a bunch of people who used to work at Emerald City with me. And I was like, hey, do you want to be, want to be on a podcast where we just, like, a rotating cast of whoever's available today talks about movies? And we actually, uh, w- independently of Talkbuster, without having, uh, without having listened to your show at that point, uh, which I, I'm not 100% sure how long you've been doing your show. We might have actually been before it. But in any event, we did. The, God, the, how our... long have I been doing my show? I'm sure we could probably find out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's only it's only about a year, year and a half. Yeah, so we actually we were doing it like two and a half years ago. And what it was was our original format uh, before it just started getting very loose was uh, that every week we would do two movies. And it was based on the idea that back at Emerald City Video, if you paid full price for a movie, you could get a catalog movie for free. Yep. So it was always one newer movie, usually something that was either in theaters or new to home video, and then like an older, like a catalog movie. So like our first episode was The Force Awakens and Josie and the Pussycats. 
Right. That's that's and Force Awakens would have been like that. That was the summer after you started at Wizard, right? That was uh, no, that, that's Phantom Menace. Uh, Phantom Force Menace. Awakens. Sorry. Brain. Yep. That was a flub. <laughs> I apologize. It's true. No, yes. No, yes. I, I am not equating the Force Awakens and the Phantom Menace to be in the same movie. Oh, God. I'm, I'm going to die now. They're, they're all going to come after me. Sorry. Uh, I, it, that does happen with the Star Wars people sometimes. <laughs> keep going. Keep, well, I, I also do say that I love The Last Jedi on this show a lot, too, so that uh, gets me a lot of flack. <laughs> that, that's all right. Uh, it, I think that your brother would have me burned at the stake because I actually enjoy most of the Zack Snyder stuff uh, that he did in DC. Uh, well, you, you, you got to remember, I'm, I'm on the same side of the coin as you there. The, if, so... It, it, I did not know that. Again, I must have. I must not have gotten that far in listening to the old. Yeah, podcast. no, I, I. So, again, I, I've. God, this comes up on the shows a lot, but I. I really like Man of Steel and feel that if there was a movie in between Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman that kind of established that he was that was the origin story of Clark Kent, right? Then I would have bought Man of Steel a lot more. But it transitioning into the the mopey edge lord thing. That was Batman versus Superman. I just felt there wasn't a, there wasn't. We didn't get the movie in between the two. Yeah, and, and I can agree with the that. Crap out of me, and, and I because I think Zack Snyder's awesome, actually, and not like I'm not one of these like crazy cultists that wants to see his cut of Justice League. I actually refuse to see Justice League at this point because I'm just <laughs> so done with all of it. But um, <laughs> you know, here's my thing with Justice League is kind of weird. Uh, I thought that it was a fine movie i think that's the kind of movie that if it had been made 10 years ago people would be like holy shit this is amazing but because we've had 25 amazing comic book movies in the last 10 years that's just not a conversation we're having uh correct and and so for me it's like i i I don't mind it. It's fine. It's it's certainly not great. And I like if if you are one of those people who's deeply invested in Snyder's take on the DC universe, I can see why people are super into like wanting to see his cut. But I also oh, think yeah. I also think it's a weird situation because everybody compares it to like the Donner cut and they're like, "Oh, well, this could happen because after all, Richard Donner." And I'm like, "I mean, theoretically, yeah, but that was like 21 years later." <laughs> like i was managing emerald city video when the donner cut came out yep. on dvd yep. and that that i wasn't born yet when he was shooting superman 2 nope. uh, and and something my brother and i would unequivocally agree on is that watchman is a freaking masterpiece so that's oh, that's yeah. a side it's, and he he also was a huge torch carrier for sucker punch which I always bring that up when the Snyder people get on his case because I'm like, you know, like he likes the movie that everyone hates that this guy made, right? <laughs> it's actually funny. Uh, we did, uh, and and we didn't finish it because a lot of the times my my most frequent co-host on Emerald City is Zach, and he is he's like a, a serious hardcore journalist. Uh, actually, uh, if you saw this week, the Washington post had a story about that kid who got beaten at Charlottesville. Yep. At, uh, the photo in that story was taken by Zach. Jesus. And basically the reason that Deandre Harris's story has been as big as it was outside of like activist circles is because Zach was there to get that shot. And so, and I'm not like, I'm not obviously giving him credit for what Harris has gone through because Harris has been handling it like a, like a trooper, 
But like, it's one of those weird things where I'm just like, yeah, I'm off doing comic con and that's like really cool and really exciting. Uh, but it's so weird because like the guy who I work with the most is off, like trying to actively change the world. (laughs) I I remember you shared that with me when, when we were first communicating back around comic con, um, to, to, to make this happen. Yeah. You, uh, you were like, oh yeah, I, I'd really like to get me and Zach on at the same time, but he's probably off doing X. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> shooting know? right now. He's shooting the, the UAW strike, uh, and wow. which, but, uh, so in any event, we, uh, we, we sometimes get into these like theme months and stuff and, and oftentimes don't get to finish them because something will happen with Zach's day job. And, uh, we actually, we did when justice league was coming out on DVD, just for shits and giggles, we did Snyder Cut Month, where we <laughs> we went through and we watched like both versions of Dawn of the Dead and both mm. versions of Watchmen, and did deep dive kind of not just like here's the difference, but like talking about which one we thought was better and why and blah 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 blah. And we got to Sucker Punch, and I had to order the DVD because there's no way to get the director's cut if you don't have a physical copy of the movie. Yep, and. The need to order the DVD, which I do actually have sitting on the shelf behind me, but the need to order the DVD slowed our pace down and screwed up our timing to the point where we completely fell off it. And so we still have to do Sucker Punch and Batman v Superman at some point. (laughs) My my biggest problem with um, with Batman v Superman was just that it bored me. And it was a bummer because there were great ideas in it. And it, you know, it, it just, it bored me. Like I sat there, it's because the movie got cut down so much. I feel like that they, I think that's definitely, I think for a lot of, it's funny because I, for whatever reason, my head was making a lot of the correct, like leaps that I needed to yep. make for the movie to make sense. Yep. So like I, I watched it with a bunch of friends and I got out of it and a bunch of people there with me were like, I don't know what the fuck I just watched. And I was like, really? And I just kind of explained a bunch of stuff. And later I would hear like Snyder explaining it. And I was dead on for what he was trying of to course. do. Of course. And I don't know why, because like objectively looking at it, especially in hindsight, now that you have a more completed cut available on DVD, it's like, no, there was a lot of like really missing stuff that like in, in, in an objective way, didn't the movie did not work as well as it should have or didn't make as much sense as it should have without it. For whatever reason, my brain just made the correct leaps, but I just as easily could have made totally incorrect leaps and been explaining the movie wrong to people. <laughs> that would have been even better. <laughs> Zack Probably. Snyder comes out and he's just like, yeah, so the film's about um, actually a secret cult of people that are into Rainbow Bright. You're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> See... The funny thing is that because of because of the way that he interacts with his audience now, because he's so direct with them on that, uh, what is it, Vero, and yep. they everybody takes it so seriously, and then like websites like mine will write about whatever comes out of it. I kind of like I would I would adore it if he just did some kind of bizarre troll, just came out and was like, nope, the movie's actually all about, and then just name some wacky garbage and then just watch like the blogosphere trying to explain how that makes sense in some way shape or form <laughs> it, it actually reminds me have, have you ever seen the film the last exorcism i think that i did but if i did it would have been like when i was at a video store and... yeah it's it's not it's not great but it's you know it, it's one of those offshoots of the found footage circuit mm-hmm. of films but it, it's it's um 
its angle mm-hmm. is a really clever one. It, it's about a priest who's a bullshit priest. Like he's he's like a Bible Belt televangelist kind of guy that's the son of a guy that did that. And he's making a documentary about um, showing the world that all of this is BS and like the mm-hmm. exorcisms that they do because a kid is suffocated to death. Mm-hmm. In 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 one, he's like, I, I you know, I just feel everything ethically and moralistically that like I was okay making money off of this is now out the door, and so he goes, I'm just gonna pick the first letter I have and goes to this seemingly benign thing, and it all goes to crap. <laughs> but uh, it, so it's it's a clever like angle on it. It's just mm-hmm. you know, it's everything after that has been there, done that. Yeah. But he's he's got a bit at the beginning where he's. Talk. He's interviewing with the people that are filming his documentary, mm-hmm. and she's like, "So you know, you you have a really good control over the audience out there." He goes, "Yeah, you know, I have such a good control. I could probably just say anything, and as long as I give it my my spiel and my voice and my you know say the few things about God and the Bible, mm-hmm. they're going to believe it." And she goes, "Really?" She goes, "Anything?" And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Damn it, I could say my grandmama's uh, apple pie recipe." And they'd be they'd hallelujah at the end of it. And she goes, no way. And he goes out there and does that and looks nice. and winks at her. And I'm like, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's awesome. And you just kind of I could see Snyder doing that. Of course, the the other side of that is that people like that are terrifying. Yes, uh, I actually. Yes, they are. My my favorite non entertainment podcast is this thing called Behind the Bastards. Ooh. And it's it's like interesting stories about the worst people in the world. Uh, but a lot of the folks he ends up talking about are like religious or political or medical grifters. Just these these people who come up with some dopey like he he did an episode on snake uh, oil snails. Sna- yeah, th- yep. and there's there's one I can't remember what he was doing. There's a there's a a guy who started a church and he's like he's a former Scientologist and he's like I'm a billion year old space god, and the cure all for all of your diseases is this chemical compound I've put together. But the chemical compound is just like industrial bleach in water. Oh, fuck. so it's literally like he, it's the church of drinking bleach, uh, which I don't know for. For the first half of the story, it's like, okay, whatever. It's it's really stupid, and it's irresponsible of him. But these are adults who are making their own decisions. But, of course, the way that these things all go is that somebody, some anti-vaxxer decided, like, this is how I'm going to cure my kids yeah, of autism. Yeah, I was just about to say. Uh, that's, like, that's, yeah. like the, that's like the scary autism cure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's It actually evolved out of this guy's church. Like, oh, God. She basically found his cure-all, and she's like, well, this is not really a cure-all. This guy doesn't – He's. it's not really magic, but – and that's where that came from. <laughs> um, oh, God. And speaking as the, as the father of two kids with autism, uh, it's horrifying. You're talking uh, to the father of one kid diagnosed and who knows with the second, so. Yeah. So that's uh, – but yeah, that's uh, people like that scare me because like I listen to Behind the Bastards and I'm just like listening to the early part because uh, usually it's like he'll do a two part episode where it's like he, he runs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And usually the Tuesday part will be like the early part of the person's life where they're like a decent enough person or maybe like a low grade con man. And then the second half is like where the Nazis come in. Oh, and- God. <laughs> And and so usually like you're you're listening to the first half and you're just like you're just going, this is kind of funny, this is really kind of weird. It's entertaining to watch this all unfold, but I just know what the second half's gonna be. And oh my god, <laughs> uh, but uh, 
in any event, I, 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 we are going to be doing the, the Snyder month. We're going to be finishing that at some point, And that's going to be a fun, a fun little journey because I have, I've never watched uh, sucker punch since I saw it in theaters and I actually didn't dislike it. I was just kind of indifferent to it. Yeah, correct. Uh, but uh, it'll be real interesting to, for the first experience I've had with that in so many years to be after the DCEU movies and as part of this experiment where we're going to watch both versions in 24 hours. <laughs> Yikes. But, uh, yeah, that's an, and, and the other is just cause I'll, I'll, I'll finish, uh, what is nominally the introduction, even though we're now 20 minutes in. Oh dude, it's good. <laughs> this, this is how I like to run it. It's fine. No, I, 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 I'm actually the same way. Uh, the, one of the things that when I, I interviewed Kevin Smith for Jay and Silent Bob reboot the other day, uh, we were talking about that a little bit off, off mic, but the, I can't say pretty much anything about the interview because it's all embargoed until closer to when the movie comes out. But the one right. thing I can't say, because it doesn't have anything to do with content, uh, this was one of those very standard, like if you're a reporter, you get these all the time, 15 minute phone interviews with a publicist on the line to make sure that you behave yourselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, at around 18 minutes, uh, I said to Kevin, I was like, look, I know we're way over on time, but I got this one last thing I really got to ask you. And uh, can I, can we do this? And he goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm having a good time, man. Like, just keep going and, and like, I'll you whatever time you need. And so we start talking and we get carried away talking. And uh, 90 minutes into our 15 minute interview, <laughs> uh, he asked, he, he asked, like, we were talking about my boss being a big fan. And he's like, has your boss seen the movie? And I said, no. And he goes to ask the publicist, like, hey, can we get his boss a screener? And the publicist is just gone because it's at some point that hour <laughs> she was just like, fuck this. <laughs> um, so so this is pretty much my speed, too. Um, but, yeah, the first podcast I, I did that anybody ever paid attention to, I used to be on a show called Archie Digest, a Riverdale podcast. And it was like three middle-aged white guys uh, who had made our – like we were career entertainment journalists. Uh, it was me and a guy called Chris Hainer from GameSpot yep. and uh, Craig Byrne from K-Site, which used to be Krypton Site. And we had a, a Riverdale podcast because when we went to the set before the show had ever aired, they screened an early cut of the pilot for us, and we all loved it. And we're like in the bus on the way back to our hotel going like we're a bunch of like 40 year old white dudes who really loved Riverdale. We got to do something with this. Yeah, <laughs> of course. And and because everybody is working at crazy jobs with crazy schedules, we got in about halfway through season three. We just completely lost track of doing it. And so we haven't done a new episode in a long time. But uh, the success of Archie Digest kind of prodded me to be like, you know what? These TV show things are really fun. And also it keeps you pretty focused because yes. while, while Emerald city, uh, I basically do what we're doing right now and it kind of goes everywhere. Uh, there is something good. There's something like kind of satisfying from a pro productivity standpoint of having a show where it's like, no, I know how to get from point A to B. And so oh, absolutely that that's the, the show I do with my wife. That's the, the creating geeks one. We, you know, we have a plan, we have a topic, and when we keep it clean, lean, and we just go, and it, I, I love being able to do stuff like that. But I also love meeting new people and just, yeah. and just blabbing on about things we love for, yeah. however long. Well, and that's once, once 
we did Archie Digest, I started thinking about other shows. I actually wanted to do a Cheers podcast because I love oh, Cheers. Oh, my God. Um, that would be great. And, and very much actually like what you were saying about Chasing Amy where it was like really woke at the time. But it's you watch it now and it's a little bit less so. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff in the early episodes of Cheers where you're just like, man, I could see what they were doing here. And that was brave as hell in 1983. But now it's creepy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and and so uh, I didn't I didn't. I actually, my ex-girlfriend uh, from, like, my college girlfriend is somebody who is a, she's now a beer blogger living in uh, New, uh, New Hampshire. Oh, no and, shit. And so I was like, I, I called up Carla, and I'm like, do you want to do a Cheers podcast? And she's like, I've never seen Cheers, but yeah, why not? Uh, but we wanted a third voice because it was like, we we didn't want it to be just in so in-jokey, which is what happens when it's like somebody you've been friends with for 20 years. Absolutely. And so we, we went looking for people and we just didn't find anybody. And about halfway through the process, I like reached out to somebody who I knew would be a pretty good fit. And he was like, no, but you know what I was thinking? We should do a psych thing. Cause I know he knew I was a big fan of psych. And so like suddenly it morphed into, instead of doing cheers, we were doing psych because it's 111 episodes or something instead of 300. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, man, in, in, three years when I'm done with the psych podcast, if I still am feeling the cheers thing, then I will have a completed, you know, eight season podcast under my belt that I can point at and be like, no, this is a good idea. Um, right. Look, people, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's, it, it's weird. It's weirdly satisfying though, uh, being part of the, the, the psych kind of ecosphere, because even though there's like six psych podcasts, which for a show that's not on the air anymore feels excessive, uh, people respond every time we do a new delicious flavor it's, it gets like five to six times as many downloads as like any great, great title for that show too yeah that was <laughs> it was funny because uh we at the time i was still doing archie digest and uh we were doing a like a limited run uh podcast doing a deep dive into doomsday clock which ultimately got abandoned because doomsday clock became so uh incredibly late it's a Doomsday Clock is a comic. It's a sequel to Watchmen. Yep. Yep. Uh, and it the comic is so incredibly late that most of the time I was just like paying for the thing to be hosted and then not actually having anything to do with it. <laughs> so we just we abandoned the idea. We're like, we'll probably come back to it when the book is over. But uh, we did like three episodes in the space of seven months or whatever it was. And we're just like, Ugh. no, this makes us very sad. Um <laughs> But uh, so I, I like did this weird thing where I like, OK, well, I'm going to make sure everything has like a clever name and then a colon and then an explanation of what it is. And I, everybody had like uniform logos where it was like we've got the a, like a bold circle with an object in the middle and it's very monochrome. And it's like you line them all next to each other and it all looked very good. And Delicious Flavor was kind of like the best of the combinations of title subtitle. <laughs> um, it's, it's good. I don't know. It's, just, it's perfect, actually. <laughs> But uh, and, and it's also it's also perfect because like most of the folks who are doing psych podcasts, it's like the psych minute or the psych rewatch. It's, it's a lot of things that are very, very like simple matter of fact titles. Right. And, and so uh, one of the things that differentiates us a little bit from the other folks who already exist in that space is the fact that, no, we're being a little like cutesy about it. And that like when you're looking at the list of podcasts, I think. Sometimes it's easy for people to be like, oh, this one sounds different. 
but right, uh, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, and and if by some weird coincidence you're listening to this and you are an Archie Digest listener, uh, or a, a, a excuse me, a, a delicious flavor listener, I have like two seasons and change backed up that I still need to edit. So there is more coming. <laughs> nice, yeah, that that's a huge fan base. It it is. And, and the other thing is like because. <clears throat> I knew the one guy, but I didn't know the other girl who we did the show with when she like it's she actually she works at comic book now. But we she had just started like that week when we started recording. And so because I didn't know the other two hosts particularly well and because, you know, talking about a whole series of TV that went for eight seasons is a bit of a commitment. We decided that we would sit on it until after we had already completed recording an entire season. And so the thought was that way, if we didn't get along with each other, that would give like 13 weeks while the show was unfolding for me to find other co-hosts. And there would be no harm, no foul, because it wouldn't seem like anybody, quote unquote, ruined anything. Right, exactly. But the instead, we all got along really well. Everything was great. And it just became a thing of like, you're 13 and then 15 and then 17 and then 24 weeks behind on your editing because you have this giant stack of things and it doesn't feel quite as urgent as if you have one or two. Right, exactly. I, I did that for the summer for all of these. Mm -hmm. You know, I was by the end of June, I had, you know, four months worth of stuff. Yeah. In backlog. And I'm like, oh, this feels great. <laughs> like I can just like kill one every once in a while and pop it out there. And it's just like, oh, awesome. Yeah. And that's, uh, one of the things that I will say, like I miss one of the things I miss the most from the video store. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. We came full circle. We're back. You, we're back yeah. to working at video stores again. But one of the things I miss, like legitimately from the video store is having conversations with interesting people, uh, some of whom are not necessarily people who I know or would have been friends with if I hadn't, you know, happened to be at the store they were at uh, right. about about the things that I'm passionate about. Uh, you know, I, I actually. A good friend of mine, Steven Alexander, he's a, a video game developer who uh, you can find him on, uh, it's, it's, I think it's Indiegogo because he has a, a he is in uh, kidney failure and he's he's on dialysis and he's waiting yep. for a transplant. Yep, and, I've seen uh, that. Yeah, well, because he, he is pretty good at going viral. Uh, yeah. He, he had a thing a while back where he was like on dialysis and he's like, hey, I got eight hours. Let's see if I can get celebrities to say hi to me. Yep. And that was like it went everywhere. He like has a custom video that Triumph the Insult Comic Dog sent him and stuff. Oh, um, but so like Steve, actually, when I first met him, it wasn't like on the Internet because he's really good at going viral. He worked at Emerald City before I did. <laughs> and uh, I distinctly remember walking into Emerald City. It was the same night that I had dropped off my application and Steve was there and we'd never met before. But I. Uh, I had just moved and like the day that I moved a box of stuff got stolen off of the porch and most of the stuff in there was DVDs. And so I went to Emerald city and I rented mall rats cause I didn't own it anymore. Oh. And, uh, Steve and I like bonded over Kevin Smith and you know, now we're friends all these years later. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And it's like, it's that thing of like, there, there's a, and it's funny because fandom has gotten so toxic in a lot of ways on the internet. Yes, it uh, has. It's, it's easy to forget that 
there's there's something really positive about having kind of a, a shared communal experience around entertainment. Oh, uh, I, as, fe- I, I felt that way standing in line for PAX. Yeah. This was the first year I went to PAX, and I was standing in line outside of it, you know, waiting. And, you know, normally that would be an awful experience. Like, I'm waiting in line and rolling my eyes. And I look around, and I'm just like, we've got people from all different walks of life. Like, you know, you've got, you know, in the same line, you could have a bunch of, like, you know, um, uh, like esports gamer kids, you know, like college, you know, mm-hmm. type like, you know, that would be like crushing beers if they weren't standing in line here. And then you've got a whole bunch of kids in anime cosplay. And then you've got, you know, the Magic the Gathering group over here. And I'm looking around and I'm going, and we're all happy. Yeah. We're all happy to just be here together. There's no bullshit. You know what I mean? And that made me really happy. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things I do like and and conventions are great for that kind of experience. And there are like there are settings where it still happens. But I think that uh, that's one of the things I really miss about the video store experience is just being able to kind of come to a common place with other people who just appreciate art and to like, you know, Bob and I could have a conversation in the aisle of a video store that does not degenerate into us arguing about Zack Snyder right. uh, a lot more easily than you can do on social media because, you know, Bob is known for his hatred of Batman v Superman. And, like, I'm constantly getting retweeted by the Snyder Cut people because I uh, I, I, I work at a site where we re- we basically report on that stuff. And I try my very hardest to not be especially biased one way or the other. Right, and that's your uh, job, right? Right, that's, it, <laughs> it's, it's my job, but also, even more than that, I genuinely feel like, uh, like, my, my gut instinct is like, look, this is like a kooky fan movement. It's... Right, like, there's, there's it, a it's, through line it's, that's it's coming It's kind of weird, but there's place. no... Yeah, exactly. They, like, it's, it's weird, but they're not hurting anybody. And I also, I genuinely feel like, because so many people take for granted that they're uh, crazy... Uh, you get a lot more people being abusive to them than you get them being abusive to people. And so I, I tend to just kind of bring to the table that like, look, this is just the thing that happened. Like I, well, I don't well, also thinking about the majority of us. Yeah. Um, and I, and I've, I've said this to my brother before who were on the, Oh God, what has George Lucas done to his <laughs> property? Star Wars with the Phantom Menace that like, I run in a circle of people that like a copy of, Episode one point two five or one point five, whatever the the mm-hmm. the Jar Jarless cut was passed yeah. around in. So it's like if we can be petty enough to to like think that that was funny, then I then then I these still, guys can have their little you know whatever. I still really want to see the Topher Grace. Did you ever hear about that? The Topher Grace cut? No. Uh, he. I'm surprised I haven't. He, a few years ago, he uh, he was trying to learn how to edit, and he basically took the position that the entire prequel trilogy could be just mercilessly slashed and turned into one really good three-hour movie. Oh, okay. He apparently cut it and then, like did a screening for a bunch of his like Hollywood friends and then took feedback, basically using professionals as a test audience to help him learn where his strengths and weaknesses were as an editor, which first of all, like really solid strategy for, Mm. you know, but, uh, 
but obviously it's one of those things where you you immediately you hear about this and a bunch of people were like no it's like it was legitimately good cut like i don't know that it serves much of a purpose but like in terms of what it was trying to do it did it really well and so i always have this like morbid curiosity of like what was that cut <laughs> and yeah and- like is is it the majority of just stuff from the first half of phantom menace and then the i actually movie? what i the thing that i remember hearing is that uh is that phantom menace was like 75 percent gone um wow that, that, like basically they used the stuff that was established like character establishing right and then most of the actual heavy lifting for character development they pulled from two and three because anakin as a nine-year-old when you're trying to make it one movie it feels weirdly creepy to have any amount of time where right Padme of is so much older than him um and it, it works fine uh, at least it works as well as it's going to work in the context of a trilogy because like you have other movies and you see Hayden Christensen for four hours. But yeah, I could see if you're trying to cut it down to three hours, it's like, no, you can't have Jake Lloyd for a full hour. It just doesn't work. <laughs> huh? But uh, I would yeah. be very interested in seeing that. And that's, it's one of those things where I can't remember the specifics other than remembering that they, they cut most of episode one, but I just, I remember reading a couple of things on it and thinking, and it's, it's of course one of those things where it's like, no, like there's literally no way it could ever come out. Like there's no, you know, uh, but, but I'm just like morbid curiosity. I'm like, if I ever become friends with Topher Grace somehow, I'm going to make him show me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. He's, he's a, he's been showing up everywhere lately. Yeah. I, it's funny because I do feel like, a lot of the the TV actors of the late '90s and early aughts, uh, who you haven't seen in a while, are probably due for a resurgence. Especially as we've transitioned so cleanly from '80s nostalgia into '90s and 2000s nostalgia. Right, right, exactly. Uh, it's it's going to be real, real interesting in the next few years because uh, the early aughts. I don't feel like we had a really strong popular culture at the time because everything was so dominated by 9-11 right and everything it was, was so like, dominated by the real world you know people yeah, being angry at bush and, and instead and, of there being popular culture it was just like yeah it's like we we kind of just it was like an extension of 1999 for like yeah three or four years oh yeah exactly because yeah. 99 was it's actually funny i saw a book at barnes and noble the other day that was like about film in 1999 and i just remember looking at it and going like why the fuck didn't i write that book <laughs> yeah i was having that conversation the other day of like you know it, there it was like a hotbed of awesome oh, yeah. stuff going on in 99 and it was also one of those things where no matter what your flavor was there was like something for you because it was like you could literally within three weeks get like Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, or no, not Punch Drunk Love, uh, Magnolia, Fight Club, and American Beauty. Yeah. And it's like, those are all, like, in, in hindsight, it's actually funny because American Beauty is probably the one that has the the least cultural footprint to it in spite of being the best picture that year. Yeah. Uh, just because it, it's one of those movies that I think at the time felt really urgent, but very quickly it, you just, it ages out of yep. relevance. Uh, and even beyond the fact that, uh, you know, apparently Kevin Spacey is a garbage human. So there's that element. 
Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that hits that movie hard, unfortunately. It, it, well, it hits the movie really hard because of the nature of what his character is. It's yeah. like, oh, you were sexually harassing children while playing a character who, okay, next. <laughs> yeah, damn. It's funny you mentioned Magnolia because that, um, you know, me being, let's see, 99, so 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was like the first big, heavy R-rated drama I saw in a movie theater was Magnolia. And and I remember Bob like going to see it and going, you got to see this. He goes, and I know I, I was more of like an action movie and comedy and fantasy guy. So he's like, I just want you to sit down and take this movie in. I, I don't even know if it's good. Like I watched it and I just need you to see it. <laughs> and I sat down and watched it and he goes and watch the people leave the theater. Because people literally <laughs> did. And I was blown. Like, I was obsessed with this thing. Like, oh, yeah, I loved like, it at the time. I just got to deconstruct it and, like, figure out what all the stuff means and the symbolism. And it's just like, what the hell? And also, it, even on, on, like, a very shallow level, it was also one of the first times that I remember in my lifetime, like, a, an effective viral marketing campaign. Yes. Because you could call that phone number. Yes, and, you could. Like, you get the Tom Cruise recording saying the C word a bunch. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I think probably was part of the reason people were walking out because like people were not. I remember having conversations with people at the video store that people were not prepared to hear that come out of Tom, Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, that was one of my favorite um, spite recommendations when like <laughs> when like a person just like. They'd just be going on and on and be like, oh, I like these movies, but this one like pisses me off. And I'm just like, does, does anything make you happy here? Rent, you'll, you'll like this. It has a lot of actors you like in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoops. It's, you know, it's funny. Uh, I, I tended to do that with like. Uh, and again, like you because you liked Magnolia, it's not like you're giving them a bad movie. It's right. One that you knew they weren't going to like. Um, and I, I tended to do that with a lot of things like Eraserhead. Uh, oh, and, that's a great one. Eraserhead was great because uh, at the time when I was in Emerald City, it was back when um, Lynch had not signed a distribution deal with anybody for that movie. And so the only way to get it was to pay 50 bucks and get it from David Lynch's website. <laughs> and and so we were the, – because the other the other stores within about five miles of us were two blockbusters on either side. And uh, there were no because like in the small town that we were in, there's no Hollywood. There was no other family owned anything. It was just us and blockbusters. And you you worked at Blockbuster long enough to know if you have to go to a director's website and pay fifty dollars, that 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 tape is not in the store. Correct. (laughs) And and so uh, or the DVD, excuse me. And so uh, we were the only people in town who had it. And we were a college town, Syracuse, obviously. And uh, and so people actively wanted that we had three copies we we spent 150 bucks on three copies of Eraserhead because there was that much demand nice. um but when it was not being watched by the film students you just have three copies of this movie and i just when when you get these people who are being difficult i'd be like you know i don't know what this is but the college kids really like it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome and uh, yeah, that was always fun. Um, so paint me, paint me the picture of Emerald City a little bit. You know, like what, what was like size, location. You know, we. Uh, it's funny. We actually, when I started there, we had two locations, and that was never by design. Uh, it just took a really long time for us to move. 
there was a we were in the in DeWitt, New York, which is a suburb of Syracuse, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like an upscale suburb. And immediately before moving to DeWitt, we actually were in East Syracuse, New York, which is a not upscale Syri- Sy- suburb of Syracuse, which is where I live now. Um, and the East Syracuse location, we were below a bowling alley, and so it was like a long, narrow store and at that store we didn't have like the props and the decorations and all the stuff that we ended up putting up when we were at DeWitt it was very it was a very simple like family-owned video store it was all those metal like the wire shelves yep uh we did have a porn room which uh at the East Syracuse location was through those old western doors with beads uh, <laughs> at the DeWitt location, it was it, it. There was a like a closable door. It was basically it looked like you were going to the bathroom. So we actually had to correct people every so often. Like, no, the bathroom's the other one. Uh, uh, we had security cameras because you can't have a closing porn room door and not have security cameras. Yep. Um, but uh, but yeah. So in, the the store in East Syracuse was pretty standard. Like it was, you know long kind of cavernous place we had a very big selection we had something like twelve thousand movies oh damn uh, yeah that's, yeah that's, it was that's very big yeah it was a, it was a big store and we continued to have a huge selection because we never got rid like if 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 something had not been released to dvd or if we couldn't get our hands on it we would not get rid of the vhs yeah we with blockbuster that was like an employee driven thing right because yeah. you'd get you'd get the printout that says that hasn't rented in a little bit. Yeah. Go take it off the wall and sell it and be like, we're not going to freaking sell our VHS copy of the wicker man. Are you yeah. kidding me? <laughs> like... I remember those. And I remember too, because of the fact that it was so automated and it's kind of like how, how Twitter ruins everything because the algorithms don't understand how humans actually work. Correct. Uh, it's, it was the same thing at blockbuster where you would get a statement and it would be like, it, this hasn't rented in six months, so get rid of your copy of Home Alone. It's like, no, it's a fucking Christmas movie. It hasn't yeah. rented in six months because it's not Christmas anymore. Are you stoned? Yeah, yeah Jesus. And, and when it rents at Christmas, we're going to need like 12 more copies because exactly. everybody decides they want to see Home Alone. You know you know the one, and, and I, I was never a big fan of it, and so I was totally unprepared for the magnitude of people's appreciation for it. And I, I, oh, I remember I worked at three different stores during the time when this was a a thing that was on video was elf. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that movie exploded. Yeah. And it just, it was the one that everybody came back to. I actually, when I came back upstate after having lived in New York and worked for the Nader campaign for a little while. So in like two late 2008, I came back up and you have had a very interesting, like 20 years, man. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, but so when I came back upstate, um, Emerald City had closed down while I was in New York City, so I started working at this movie gallery near my house while I looked for, like, a big boy job. And when I was there, it had been, you know, whatever it had been, five, six years since Elf was in theaters. And because it was no longer a new release and because it was a holiday movie, we had one copy in the store. And that was a shit show. (laughs) Yeah, because that's, you know... God, that's the before every channel that wasn't in the rotation of Christmas movies on like no, ABC Family at this point. Hadn't made it. And that was that was the big thing. And I think it's funny because people always talk about that with uh, a Christmas story, that the the thing that really elevated it and made it a classic, so to speak, was the fact that everybody saw it on TBS all the time. Yep. 
Uh, and it's the opposite with Elf. I feel like once it was on TV, it finally chilled the hell out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because people could get it. It was like this, yeah. you know. It, and it was interesting. That movie, the year that came out on DVD, Blockbuster gave that out as their, their DVD bonus. Oh, yeah. Like they, they gave, like, the employees a Christmas gift every year, and we all got Elf. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah. I didn't. I wasn't there for the Elf year. I can't remember what it was that I got. We I had think Bruce I... Almighty, Elf. I forget the other ones. I think the one I think one of the two because I was at Blockbuster for about for about two years, maybe three. And I know that one of them, they gave us a like a three month movie pass. Uh, yep. Yep. Thing. I remember that. I remember that. That was cool. Uh, and and which it's actually funny when I was at Emerald City Video was when Blockbuster rolled out the no late fees program and the uh, the movie pass. <laughs> and. Uh, I, I wish I don't think that this footage exists anywhere. I I don't know that it ever got on television, but I wish that I could get my hands on it. I got interviewed by like the local news because Emerald City, the one in DeWitt was actually like you could like go out of the little plaza that we were in, stand in the parking lot and see with your naked eye the Channel 9 news building. <laughs> and so when when Blockbuster rolled out the no late fees program, they basically sent a guy down the street to be like, are you guys going to go to business now? And I was just like, I was like, no, because we're not the same store. Like, ultimately, we went out of business for the same reason that Blockbuster did, which is basically that that people were gravitating away from video stores as a as a thing. But like we were providing a distinctly different kind of store that that Blockbuster was in the sense that like 40 percent of our revenue came from the adult room. And we had a, a, a significant chunk of our revenue came from three sections that simply did not exist at Blockbuster. We had a cult section, uh, which was, yes. yeah. And then we had um, the great director's wall. And we would basically, there was a constant give and take among the staff as to who qualified as a great director. Oh yeah. When it first, when, when it first came down, it was like the owner just set up the new release wall and then left. And so it was like Fellini, Spielberg and like two other people. And uh, I can't remember who, but I, I do remember that very quickly it became like, okay, so what do we do with the rest of this space? Like who counts? Like, and who determines what's great? Like, is it, is, is Tarantino on here? No. And, and I did the one distinct thing I remember is that the first thing that we as employees added to the great director's wall was Scorsese. Right, of course. And and that was a that was I think the only time we ever added somebody to the great director's wall without somebody objecting that he wasn't really that great. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to find someone that objects to that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, no. You know what? The uh, um, I I completely the Vim vendors uh, stuff. There was like a box set that oh came with Fitzcarraldo and all that kind of. Yep. And and that that was like a whole conversation because I think that somebody unilaterally, like while everybody else wasn't working, just was like, no, this this box that's going to go on the great director's wall instead of in the foreign section. <laughs> <laughs> um, or can, was that was that Vim Vendors or was that Kinski? In any event, um, they did Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that? Um... No, I'm completely wrong. It's not. Wasn't that Herzog? Yes, that's what I was. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, okay. Picturing it in my head and going, you're. But Kinski, Kinski was the actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because um, that was speaking. So that is a random aside. Have you ever seen Incident at Loch Ness? I haven't. No, I I, I have just, physically held that disc, but I, I yeah. Okay, just with without even going into anything, you just have to see it. It uh, it's go. amazing to see a director at Werner Herzog's level try to play in that genre. That he 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 had so much freaking fun. It's like him. It's like him and Zach Penn of all people playing themselves in I mean, a fake found footage movie. <laughs> stuff like that just I, I stuff like that delights me. Uh, it's I, wonderful. I, I love. I mean, I the dead don't die was one of my favorite kind of movie experiences the last six months because yep. you're just watching this going like, this is a fucking Jim Jarmusch movie about like zombies. What? <laughs> and it's I could just like, see the conversation that happening. You want to yeah. do what, Jim? Yeah, yeah. I want. I want to make a zombie movie. It's kind of like the first moment that you realize that. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! That guy on the back of the piranha box is the same John Sales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was that was actually John Sales was one that I I championed onto the new onto the great directors. Well, yeah, he he uh, deserves to be there. He he deserves to be one of the very first people you put on there. And that was he was one of the first because it was when when Jim came, Jim was the guy who owned the store. He came and he like put the great director's wall up as a concept. I think uh, it's a great idea. It's oh, one I actually haven't heard Kubrick of. Kubrick was one of the other founding founding fathers of it. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was Spielberg, Kubrick, uh, Fellini and, and somebody else. Uh, Probably Hitchcock or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been Hitchcock. Um, but, but so we, we very quickly, like we had, we still had to populate the rest of the wall because that was like three quarters of two shelves, you know? <laughs> and so I, I just remember having these conversations and it was like, there were certain people who you had to like stick on later. And then there were certain people who were, were a gimme and it was like, uh, sales was a gimme. Uh, I think Jim Jarmusch was a gimme because at the time we were all very impressed by, whatever his most recent thing was probably ghost dog or something. Yeah. You know, and he's, he's a cinephiles best friend, right? Like, you know, if you're, if you're a video store worker or a kid coming out of film school and you're not, you know, just nerdgasming over everything Jim Jarmusch is pushing out, then you're, you're not doing it right. Cause yeah. that, those were speaking to you. Like those movies it, spoke to me. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> like, it looks like, it looks like I could have made it. And also it's really yeah. well made like, the, all at the same time. The funny thing about it is, uh, I first encountered his stuff. I, I, the first movie of his, I watched was stranger than paradise. Oh God. Um, yeah. And it was when I was like 16 and it was the most ass backwards way of finding a movie. Uh, what it was, was that, uh, before Emerald City was in its DeWitt location, uh, for like 25 years, there was this one video store that was like a like the Syracuse video store. It was this place called Chimneys. And it was literally just named because the, the building that it's in was called Chimneys Plaza. And it's called Chimneys Plaza because there's a bunch of chimneys. Uh, so it was like... It would have been this... so much better if the building didn't have chimneys. Yeah. Well, and that was... I didn't realize till I was working at Emerald City that... Chimneys video was literally just named after the chimneys on the side of the building. I was like, really? <laughs> it, it reminds me of a D&D uh, gag where we, yeah, kept, right? we kept going back to a town where the, the, <laughs> the tavern originally had six chimneys. And you'd be like, yep, oh, and now you're back at the tavern of the four chimneys. What yeah. happened here? <laughs> <laughs> but so I was 
as a kid, they had the five for five VHS deal that basically every mom and pop video store had. Yep. And uh, so we would go and just kind of browse indefinitely. And uh, I remember looking around trying to find your like fourth or fifth movie. And I stumbled across Stranger Than Paradise. And the reason that I read it, the reason that I, uh, I picked it up is because my favorite comic book of all time is called Strangers in Paradise. Oh. And it was it was literally just that dopey of a thing. It's like, I don't have anything else for my next movie. Why the hell not? It sounds like Strangers in Paradise. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's it's turned out to be a very good choice. And then also, uh, I'm reminded of that periodically because now that I work in the comics industry and I'm a giant nerd, I have like a page of Strangers in Paradise over my desk, which was the thing that I bought with my first bonus from comic book. Oh, so cool. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I'm one of those guys, like I don't have a very big original art collection, but like if you come to my office, it's like I've got a small collection and it's all right over my desk. And then the other wall is like an autographed. Uh, okay, this is how big a, a nerd I am. I have an autographed du jour CD from Josie and the Pussycats. It's an actual Jesus, prop from the movie I bought. I, I bought like a lot of like cheapo props from the movie. And then what happened was I was going to New York comic con and it was like the same week that uh, hurricane Maria had hit Puerto Rico. And so I brought some of the Josie props down to get them signed by, by Donald Faison and Brecken Meyer. Cause they were yep. there in the press room I was doing. Oh, Brecken Meyer. Yeah. And so the, the du jour CD I have on my wall is actually signed by Brecken. And I like auctioned some of the stuff off for charity and the du jour CD was not selling for it was like whatever whatever it was somebody had bid like 15 bucks or something and i'm just like okay look this this should go for at least like 50 or else i'll just i'll just donate 50 and keep the damn thing yep yep and so that's i just i created a second ebay account and just bought it from myself because i'm just like okay this is if it's going for this cheap, I'd rather just pay the charity and keep the stupid. And have, have it on my wall. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I also it's it's in a shadow box with one of the uh, the prop ears from the final scene where everybody the the like whole crowd in the studio is wearing the Josie ears. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm that guy. <laughs> no, that's awesome, dude. So you you reminded me of something that I forgot to promote at the beginning of this. So you're talking about sign stuff and you haven't gotten far enough from the show to know this but i have a signed sweatshirt from the last blockbuster on the planet oh nice. so the one the one in bend oregon yeah signed by the entire staff and the owners that have owned it since before it was a blockbuster very cool and so i'm trying to get so if, if you talk to people and you talk about being on the show <laughs> remind them that if my patreon numbers get to a certain level I'm going to pick someone at random and give that freaking thing to him. Nice. And it's the same thing. Like, right. Like I would love to have this thing on my oh, wall. Oh yeah, Exactly. But at the same time, you know, I think it's a really freaking cool thing and it would be an awesome story for someone to say, yeah. I ran, I want it from this random guy that runs a podcast out of Boston. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Well, and with me, a lot of the time, what I'll do is because I, you know, working in entertainment journalism, I'll end up with just piles of stuff. Oh Yeah. And and sometimes it's like stuff that I bought, uh, but a lot of the time it's either stuff that like I actually have a, a, a pretty decent collection of blockbuster apocrypha that is just like 
some of it I bought. Some of it was sent to me by people who listen to the Emerald City podcast and are like, oh, he's the video store guy now. That's his thing. Um, and so, like, I have everything from, like, uh, I have the Carl and Ray plushes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I have the uh, – there's a baseball glove from the year the Marlins won the World Series because uh, Wayne Hozenga owned both – uh, national amusements at that time and the florida marlins yes he did and uh weirdly i didn't realize this until after i purchased it uh it's a it's a left-handed glove it's oh. it's it which i mean it's not a big deal i actually when i was a kid i used to pitch and i was i was a uh, uh, ambidextrous and what i would do is i would have more power but less control with my left hand and so if i changed to my left hand it was a sign to my coach that he had to get me the hell out of there um, <laughs> but uh so like I can still use it as a left as it like if I throw with my left hand, but it's just I'm going through the thought process of like if you're gonna give away hundreds of these at the stadium one day, why left-handed? Yeah, maybe Wayne was left-handed. Maybe, maybe that's what. So it was. it was like a him like flipping off the world. Yeah, maybe or maybe it was like a starting pitcher who was really popular, and I just don't know because uh, I was an Indians fan and I was really pissed that they beat us in that World Series. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I have, so I end up with a lot of like random stuff. And a lot of the time I will end up like, I'll hang on to something for a while thinking like, maybe this will be special to me. And then at a certain point you're just like, yeah, but it's not. And then I, I usually, I almost never sell the stuff that I get sent for free just like for me to get it out of the house. Like most of the time, what I'll try to do is I'll try to, uh, I'll try to find like a charity and, and a lot of the time it'll be like something thematically appropriate. So like there was a, uh, I got sent a Supergirl promotional hat and some other stuff from the CW. And th because they had just brought on uh, Nicole Maines as dreamer, I like auctioned it off on eBay and, and gave the money to like a trans charity. Oh yeah, no, that's awesome. And, and so like I try to do stuff like that and it's like, it does two things. First of all, it's, it's a good use of this stuff that ultimately would otherwise just be collecting dust in my office. And the person that buys it is probably going to, it, you get the 50, 50 shot of it's someone that's just going to go and try to resell it for more too. Yeah. But one, the charity got helped out and two, it, it's going to, I like the idea of stuff ending up with someone that it means something to. Yeah, absolutely. And actually in, in some cases, uh, even when I'm like auctioning something on eBay, like I'll get somebody who like inquires about it and it's like, no, if you're that person who's like really like who I can tell, like, no, this is this is the person who ought to have this. I'll just be like, look, I, I can't give it to you for its current bid because that's unfair to the person. But if you can get to be the top bidder, I'll stop the auction. <laughs> right. Because exactly. it's just like it's just like, no, I, I this is a good place for this to be. And it, the money's going to go to a good cause. So it's like, I can't in good conscience screw somebody and the charity, but if you can legitimately become the person who's going to get it, then I'll stop the auction now and I'll just ship it out. Um, so every now and again, you'll get that too. But, but so that's, it's one of those things that you like to do. Uh, and, and uh, unfortunately sometimes it just, you, you end up with the stuff where it's like, no, it just didn't, it didn't go for whatever reason. And so I do have like a small box of stuff that I'm like, I should just do this as like a Twitter giveaway sometime. Uh, so that it finds a home. Yes. Uh, because I just, I have certain weird things. Um, but yeah, I, I have a, uh, I have a blockbuster collection, which is actually, it's funny. I get all of the crazy, like legitimately cool stuff that people send at like press kits and things. 
And most of that I end up giving away or selling or whatever. Uh, and then I'll have just the dopiest stuff where I'm just like, no, but it, it entertains me to have this. Like there was a, uh, a thing that Blockbuster uh, apparently sold or gave away. I don't know. I'm looking at it. No, it's got a barcode. It must have been a sale item. There are these um, cardboard like things that you cardboard like hangers that you put on the wall and it's film reels. Yep. And you know, you know what I'm talking about? And they, you can like put DVDs on them. Yep. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> I found like, I've seen them a handful of times and it's always somebody asking like 25 bucks for a little cardboard something. And I'm like, no. Uh, but I, I saw somebody who was asking something like six ninety nine for them and they had like four. Yep. And I said, okay, that seems reasonable. And so I was like, can I get two and combine shipping? And the dude was like, I don't do combined shipping, but you know what? I have one more than I listed. So if you just buy one, I'll throw it in. Nice. Um, and so like I have two of those and I'm like, no, I'll keep that until it falls apart because that's my, my own personal brand of crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're, you're talking to the guy who has the gumball machine from the store he used to work in. See, that's a I that's like a one of those things. It's like a bucket list thing. I want to one of these days I got to get the not only the, the gumball machine, but also like one of the things that I've seen online is uh, the old training manuals. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, always, I, I almost click have clicked go on a couple yeah. of those just and they're just crazy expensive. Um I, I don't have any of the trailer reels, but I do have uh, I have a one of the old Hot Picks VHS tapes. Nice, basically the trailer reel, but on tape. And, Someone uh, pointed me to um, on that. There's a Facebook page that's like a blockbuster. Oh, nice fan group. They're remembering the blue and gold blockbuster. Someone posted a link of like a shared Google Doc archive they have because oh, they nice. used to work in like IT or something of yeah. just of just documents like like um electronic copies of the training manuals and old video clips of oh, the training v and it's like oh i just want to go through this someday and just watch yeah, I gotta, it all i gotta i gotta join that that group now yeah I'm, I'm actually apparently allowed to like approve people to be in it i don't know how that happened <laughs> they just like you they so, do I, I it just this is what keeps happening to me <laughs> So here's here's a funny thing that happened that was kind of happenstance. When I bought that Hot Picks tape, um, uh, I I received it in the mail, and it, by coincidence, the uh, the like central thrust of this particular tape is that uh, David Letterman had just left NBC and was starting his his CBS show. Oh, all right, all right. And which of course, uh, because Blockbuster is kissing cousins with CBS through Viacom. Oh, cool. um, it was a big thing. And, and so this was like they had uh, David Letterman and uh, what's his name? Uh, Jay Leno. No, it was a, there was a African-American guy from CBS News and I can't remember his name. And oh, I, sorry. Somehow yeah, yeah. it's not on here, I, I'm, which surprises me. But uh, uh. so so they uh, they had basically they were emceeing the whole thing. And uh, by coincidence, I received this, and within about a week of receiving it, I got a, a message from my boss that our company had been purchased by CBS Interactive. And at the time, we were not allowed to discuss it publicly because it was like one of those things where CBS wanted to make the announcement themselves. But uh, 
my way of quietly just poking at the bees <clears throat> was to digitize this VHS tape and put it on my YouTube account at the exact moment that the paperwork was being officially signed to make a CBS property. That's funny. And nobody ever caught on to it because nobody had any reason to catch on to it. But it amused me. I think that's great. I think that's great. But uh, yeah, I'll, that's one of the things, too. I'm sure you know this because it, it, it seems like it would have come up. But I did not know this till very recently. Did you know that Blockbuster tried to do like a proto video on demand service? Yes, they did. And it, it was with fucking Enron? Yes, it was. I, I somehow I did not know that. And I was reading um, I have like a handful of books on the industry and uh, there's like a little one and I can't remember the name of it, but it's like a little like one of those seven stories press kind of things like uh, those those Noam Chomsky books about mm -hmm. 9-11. And uh, it was like just somebody's <laughs> like 100 page essay that they turned into like a little book. And I can't remember what the hell it's called, but like they mentioned it in there, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I wonder if that's a thing that exists on the internet." And then it it is, because God is good sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's a wild. The the stuff they were trying to do in the death throes at the end there was yeah. crazy. Well, and of course, you also kind of sit there and go, given the fact that everything Enron touched became completely radioactive, you're like. Could Blockbuster have lasted another three years if they hadn't gotten into bed with those specific people at that time? Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you've you've heard the old story about the the Netflix um, sale, yeah. right? Yeah. Which actually, uh, apparently, the founder of Netflix just wrote an autobiography. Yeah, that's going to be coming out soon. Yeah. I, but um, the 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 piece of trivia that I thought was hilarious is that um. So whoever was heading Blockbuster at the time, which, God, you know, there were a few people. It, yeah. it wasn't Wayne. It was the guy after him. And I'm going to forget the name. So, But yeah. um, when they said, you know, Reed Hastings said, you know, uh, Blockbuster said Reed Hastings threw everything but the kitchen sink at us mm -hmm. trying to get us to buy them. And we refused. And the next day after hearing that quote, Reed Hastings mailed them like a, a kitchen sink to put <laughs> together. Nice. And it's like, that's pretty freaking funny. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a thing that I should have uh, led with actually, <clears throat> but uh, I, I would be remiss not to mention while we're, we're just kind of going off into in directions. Oh, I uh, love it. This is were, great. Were you aware that there is somebody right now uh, who is planning to revive RST video in Leonardo, New Jersey. Um, no. Yeah, I was, they, I was just there. They apparently like, have a deal with the owners ago. to open in November. And they have like an Indiegogo where they're trying to generate the money to renovate the inside. That would explain why the inside looked like they were getting ready to renovate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be fucking awesome. Apparently, the plan is to be just incredibly niche, uh, which actually, it makes a lot of sense because I think that people watch the Kevin Smith movies and they mythologize the quick stop and the video store. And at the end of the day, it's a convenience store and a video store. They weren't that exciting to actually physically inhabit, except Correct. that they were in that movie. And so I think that the, the idea that this guy seems to be going for with RST is that, like, no, we're going to have, like, 
vinyl and VHS and like a wall of merch and yeah. it's going to be like a destination and it's not going to be like something that family video can replicate. It's a freaking great idea and I can't yeah. believe this is the first I'm hearing of this. I I learned about it this morning on uh, Instagram. Like somebody pointed me to this guy's account. It's like Instagram slash RST videos. This and, is amazing. Oh, this is yeah. great. It gives me another excuse to go back down there because I don't know if you've ever been, but it's a riot. I haven't been in a while. Actually, uh, the last time I was there, it was not the current uh, location for the stash. It was the original location. Right. And uh, two things. First of all, it was just at that right moment where Strike Back had not yet come out. But the shopping bag they handed me on the way out the door was a Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back shopping bag. Oh, that um, movie. And that also, movie just means so much to me. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> and also, and this is one of those things that I have forever kicked myself for because I had no idea until the next day. Um, if there is any one thing uh, that that I, if there's any celebrity that I've spent more time in my life talking about than Kevin Smith, it's probably Bruce Springsteen. Awesome. I, I love Springsteen, and. Jack's Music Shop, the music shop from Chasing Amy. Which is right across the street from the new location of the stash. Yeah. 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 And, and like a quarter mile or something from the old location. Springsteen was signing there at the time I was at the stash. That's, that's insane. And I had no clue. And like to this day, I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? That's uh, wild. Even, even in my job and my day job where I've met so many of my heroes and it's like I've become friends with so many people who I grew up admiring. Uh, Springsteen is one of the few people I've not yet encountered. And I'm just like, of course, I literally was, you know, a football field away and had no clue. Back back when you were just starting out. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the other great part. right? Oh, yeah. It's funny because um I've interviewed Kevin a handful of times, and there's, like, video of me interviewing Kevin uh, on, like, the uh, the Sin City 2 red carpet because they did, like, a, a party at Comic-Con that year. And Harley was, like, 14 or something and really wanted to go to the party, so her parents had to go. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so I that was the first time I met him uh, as, a, as a journalist. Uh, the first time I ever met him was when I was on my way to my wizard internship, I went to a convention in Toronto before I went down there. And so there's like, there is a photo of me in like 1999 with Kevin Smith. And I just distinctly remember that most of that conversation was us talking about how Disney had just tried to kill dogma and failed. Yep. Um, and which in hindsight is one of those conversations where I'm, I'm sitting here going, I am 100% positive very nice things were said about Bob and Harvey Weinstein because um, they, of course, purchased the movie to save it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And again, they were. Yeah. That, that's a big mess. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not like Kevin had any idea. So I, you can't blame. Oh, but it's, it's just, such a big it, mess. It's just one of those things that's that's like ironic and kind of funny in hindsight where you're just like, oh, yeah, I had a conversation and I guarantee because like they were the saviors of that movie at the time. Of course. They did that I, for so many people. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's literally the reason the Weinstein Company exists is because basically the exact same thing happened again with Michael Moore a few years later. Yep. And so they bought 
Fahrenheit 9-11, and instead of licensing it to Lionsgate and Sony, they started their own studio. It's awesome, man. Uh, but yeah, so it's so, but it's so strange because it's like with with Smith in particular, it's like yeah, you th- there's this weird thing of the 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 two like photos that exist of him and me in the same place, even though we've we've met a handful of times, but the two like video records that exist, one of them was like when I was 19 and not doing this professionally, and <laughs> and the other one was uh, uh, the other one was like on a red carpet that he had no business being on for a movie he wasn't involved in because his daughter wanted to go to the party. (laughs) That's so freaking cool. I love stories. Like, and I love that. Like when you take out the corporateness of it Mm -hmm. all, because every, everything's a product at the end of the day that it's still the on, on your feet, walking around, bumping into people, random happenstance that you then equate all the way back to being at a video store finding someone that you might not have ever met before and sharing something like a connection with them. And I love that there's people in the industry like Kevin and, you know, others that Mm -hmm. still kind of carry themselves that way, carry themselves that it's like the, 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 like the, the mystery of running into like your new best friend at like the basement of a comic book shop, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to play like a, a board game or something. And it's like, I love that. I love that our culture still has that, even though the internet and everything has kind of moved away from the physical locale mm-hmm. kind of side of it. I don't know. No, that's I, I I agree completely, and that's actually one of the things that uh, Emerald City that we want to do with Emerald City. There's there's a uh, there's a family video that's like twenty minutes from us, and I need to like call up the manager and just be like, "Look, this is who we are. I want to like do an episode from your from your." store oh, that would be awesome uh, because i feel like there's something there to just like actually talking to people like it would be really fun to do like an employee recommendations episode where it's like us and four people who work at the video store like sitting behind a table and interacting with customers yeah no i i plan on um getting myself out to um the blockbuster and bend and doing mm-hmm. that's a similar kind of thing myself at their store yeah yeah I, and, they, they, and they want me to so oh, very that's cool. awesome <laughs> yeah it's it's actually one of the things that i want to do is uh i want to get out to more of the the stores that still, still exist, exist in the world uh i do a pretty good job like when i'm traveling for work a lot of the time like i'll be in a strange city and i'll have nothing to do and i'll be at like a hotel that warner brothers put me in so i can go talk to the people from black lightning <laughs> and and so when I'm not on the set, I'm I'm like in a strange city I've never been in before doing nothing. And so I'll just like look up, OK, is there a video store in town? And so like I use Black Lightning as an example because Black Lightning is in Atlanta where they have Videodrome, yep. which is if you've ever been there, it's a really great store. Um, and actually, I uh, last time I went there, they have like a, a they have a rack of stuff where it's basically like this is the shit we found in the back that. We're just going to refresh this when we find random crap, but, like, yeah. And so, like, when I was there last year, I think last December, I purchased uh, a copy of The Matrix, which uh, was a VHS copy with Hollywood video markings all over it. Yes! A, a VHS copy of High Fidelity, which is oh. one of those screeners that has the 1-800-no-copies watermark all over it. Yeah. 
and then a VHS copy, uh, which doesn't have anything exciting about it. Actually, no, wait, it did. It had a blockbuster previewed sticker on it of uh, Brazil. Oh, yes. And uh, Brazil, the love, I conquers actually, all, the love Conquers All cut or the or the real I, one? I think it's the Love Conquers because it was a blockbuster cassette. Um, <laughs> but either way, it is now an LED lamp that I made for my 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 co-host Zach and one of my best friends. He's a, a huge, huge fan of Brazil. And I was just like, it would be really kind of funny to like. So I, I, I basically opened up the VHS tape. I removed some of the tape so that you could still see some tape in there. But yeah, yeah. I just ran some LED lights through it and turned it into a lamp. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's one of those. I, I like saw somebody somehow. I stumbled across somebody selling one of those on eBay or Etsy or something, and I was like, "That's such a cool idea!" But they were selling it for like thirty bucks, and I'm just sitting here going. I can go to the Salvation Army and get two for a dollar VHS tapes, and those LED strips are at five below. Yeah, uh, exactly. So if if I'm not incredibly lazy, I can just do the same thing with whatever movie I want for six dollars. Uh, and so I, I did actually. That was a thing I did for a bunch of people for Christmas this year. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, I did LED lamps out of VHS tapes, and then uh, the old clamshell cases. I actually I, I made. Uh, clocks. I bought little clockwork packs, and I uh, like drilled a small hole in like a VHS case and made a clock out of it. Dude, uh, this this is it. As I say with a lot of people, I find in this, it's like talking to like a long lost friend that I haven't made yet. Like we're 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 on the exact same like level here. I love this. Well, uh, when when we when we're off the phone, one of the things I have to do is I have to get a, a mailing address for you because I have yes. Uh, I have essentially what are what amount to my version of challenge coins, which nice. is uh, once upon a time I bought a package of like twelve blockbuster pogs, <laughs> and uh, and like basically what I'll do is I'll send them to people who are like who who I get along with well and who are in this kind of like headspace. Uh, or like I, I sent one to each of the two ladies who works with me covering the CW shows at work. Yep. And it's like it's two things. First of all, it's like the the Rust loves you coin, but also it's like if we ever end up at the same convention, like bring this and I'll buy you a drink. Oh, that's awesome. So, I love that. Thank and that's you, dude. It. Yeah, absolutely. It's my way of like creating a little community among the the people who like the same weird crap that I do. <laughs> dude, that's awesome. So so I was going to say we've been going for about an hour and a half and I've learned two things from this. One, I need to have you back on so we can yeah, keep absolutely. talking. Um and uh Two, it's really late um, for <laughs> me, and uh, so it also tell Zach that um, you know, yeah, it's a yeah, bummer we, he couldn't be here, and I, I we have to do one of these again with him. That was too. that was literally right up until like yesterday night when I was like, hey, remember we're doing the show tomorrow, and he's like, I'm at this UAW protest. Yeah. I'm gonna try to break away, but I don't think I'll be able to. No, it, it's all good. So I wanted to invite you now to play right quote wrong movie. Yeah, yeah, which I have up on my screen. Okay, so this is – it's it's stupid simple. Um, but since you haven't played it before, I will give you the spiel. So um, a buddy of mine at work and I, we go to lunch and we come up with movie games. Mm -hmm. And this is the one that stuck the longest. Um, we've been playing it, you know, at lunch for about two or three years. And we started well, – I started writing down all the stuff in a Google Doc 
and turned it into um, a Cards Against Humanity style card game. So the way it works is you've got a blue card here that I'm going to flip over that has the name of a movie on it. Mm-hmm. And then you have a hand of yellow cards, which would be like the white cards and Cards Against Humanity that have a quote. Yeah. And we have to throw quotes that are not from the movie that's on the blue card that mm-hmm. are either funny or ironic when used in that film. All right. And it and hilarity ensues, hopefully, <laughs> is, is the idea. So I will draw the first card, if that makes sense to you. All right. All right. And it is Interview with the Vampire. All right. And you can be the first quote, if you would like, good sir. Uh See, there's a couple here that are actually like would be weirdly appropriate for it, which is <laughs> which is one of those things where you're like, yeah, but that's not funny though. Um, oh, you never know though; it's still fun. Uh, well, I'll just I'll I'll go with this because uh, it, it amuses me to think of uh, Kirsten Dunst telling uh, Tom Cruise, "What's the matter, boy? I bet you can squeal. I bet you can squeal like a pig." <laughs> nice. So you, so you get it completely. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. <laughs> Interview with the vampire. <laughs> oh, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> so I, yeah, think, I, mine was, I think mine was Deliverance, which. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think you take that one. All right. So one, one for the guest. All right. Next movie. Airplane. Airplane. The Leslie well, Nielsen Zucker Brothers yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like I got to do a martini, shaken, not stirred. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, oh, man. Are any of these going to work? All right, I'm going to use this one because I think it would be hilarious in context. Mm. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick airplane. Nice. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with you on that one because right. I do I do like a good drunk pilot joke but I yes. think that your, yours yes. would have worked a lot better in context oh man sorry I have a drinking problem <laughs> oh airplane oh Pulp Fiction uh, I actually have one of those <laughs> nice uh, so I, I won't use that one because that would be uh, self-defeating correct uh let me see. I mean, I, I kind of feel like the, the, the one that is the least... Because the thing about Pulp Fiction is that a lot of these would just be super appropriate. Like, yep. Just because it's such a, a versatile movie. Um, so I'm just going to I'm gonna go with the one thing I don't think we ever would have heard in that movie, which is... Hmm, uh, I see. So, Jane, what you do here, in effect, is count boners. Love it. Um, so it's funny that you picked that one because I have when a naked man is chasing a woman through an alley with a butcher knife and a heart on, I figure he isn't in a, out working for the Red Cross. See, <laughs> that's from Dirty Harry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which is great because I feel like uh, you could just divorce Pulp Fiction from the whole thing and our two quotes work better together than anything. Right, I agree. So maybe so that's a that's a tie then. So we're going to do one more cuz I I really like this game. Forrest yeah, Gump. Forrest Gump. Uh well, I I am tempted. I'm not going to actually use this one, but uh, I will say uh for Forrest Gump it's hard to resist bring out the gimp. 
Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's uh, perfect. But just because it would be so grossly inappropriate, I'm going to go with, uh, boy, the next word that comes out of your mouth better be some brilliant fucking Mark Twain shit, because it's definitely getting chis- chiseled on your tombstone. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, that's awesome. Um, I don't have any good ones. I, I've just got, I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. <laughs> well, Alien. you know, what's really funny, uh, because I, I just was talking about him. Uh, every time I hear Forrest Gump, my immediate thought is there's a Bruce Springsteen song called my best was never good enough. Yep, there is. And, uh, yeah. And, and that's because of the fact that they have these stupid is as stupid does reference in that song. Every time anybody brings up Forrest Gump, that's the first thing that pops into my head. So Going straight to Forrest Gump from the Bruce Springsteen conversation five minutes ago is kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, man, that full circle, huh? Yeah, I like this game. This is this is fun. It's fun. I actually have you ever heard of Drinking Quest? Uh, I haven't. No, I, I'm actually I'm one of those people who I'm really terrible at being aware of these things. Like I I know about Cards Against Humanity, but I've never yep. actually played it. Oh, all right. Well, uh, it's, it's played like apples to apples, which you've probably right, never yeah. played either. But, I, I um, played. That, I think, once when I was in high school or college. I do have a friend who's, like, actually one of my co-hosts from Emerald City, the guy who took over as the manager when I left. It, like, runs a tabletop group here in Syracuse. So it's kind of ironic that we are very good friends, and I basically never do any of the stuff that he's obsessed with. That's funny. But yeah, so, so drinking, <clears throat> drinking Quest, a funny quick aside, is was a kickstarted game that my cousin ended up bringing over to play. It's basically D&D reduced to a card game. So you, so you, it's really quick play and it's meant. So each person is the dungeon master for the person to the right of them. And you just go around in a circle and it's a pre-written thing, but it you use dice and it uses all the same rules, except that all of like your initiatives and saving throws and everything are drinking. Mm-hmm. Nice. So it's, and the guy that made it is this guy, Jason Anarchy, who comes around to like packs and stuff. And I was at packs and I went to the booth for his company and wanted to let them know, you know, Hey, I'm a big fan. And mm-hmm. the guy there happened to be Jason. Nice. And he's like, Oh yeah. He goes, you're into the game. He goes, well, if you buy something, I'll sign it. And then I talked to him and uh, and he ended up coming on the show. So he got to play this and he told me, dude, you got something there. You got to kickstart that thing. Like go, yeah. go play, test it around. He goes, that that's That's got a lot going for it. And I was like, all right, sweet. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, I actually I'm talking for for Emerald City slash comic book because every now and again I I, I will blend things, which is probably a conflict of interest. But we're going to pretend it's not. Yeah, uh, you can't have uh, a conflict of interest when it's you. Well, here here's yeah, here's what I'm doing. Joke. Here's what I'm doing is there's a guy who is currently kickstarting a game, and I can't remember for the life of me what it's called, but it's basically it's a game about video rental that all. Like the the game is small enough that it all fits inside of a VHS clamshell. That's awesome. The uh, the blockbuster game. Yeah, it's just very came similar. Out of Target to that. It was like yeah. And I actually I have both versions of the blockbuster game the that one and the like 2001 on top yep. of my shelf here. Uh, but so I was t- I'm going to talk to this guy about his thing and and basically it's one of those things where I'm like I think there's an audience for this kind of thing but at comic book it's like. We we wouldn't actively pursue something like that necessarily because like our audience doesn't is isn't super into the retro stuff. Yep. So what a lot of what I tend to do is like sometimes when it's like I want to have this conversation and I think that there's a portion of our audience that would really dig it is I'll just bring somebody on Emerald City and then I'll basically find when they say something interesting, I'll use that as a rationale to be like, 
oh, well, this person said this really cool thing on a podcast, so you should check it out. And that way, like, yeah, even somebody who I wouldn't necessarily have time to talk to for work, it's like I can convert it into a story by basically using Emerald City as a as as the miners so that so that's that you awesome. train somebody up for the majors. That's <laughs> awesome, dude. And and so we're gonna be doing that this week and talking to him. And I have no idea what his game is yet, but I uh, I'll have to uh, we'll have to do like a thing one of these days where I get uh, the blockbuster game and his game and and you and this card game together and like do a, a a drink and play for for an hour kind of thing oh that'd be awesome dude i'd love that and like i said if you <laughs> I, I would like to collaborate more yeah, and, and and you you said you know obviously offline but you, you said you had some questions pick brain too we can oh yeah, yeah. you know because because i um you know i would love to to learn the insight into um the best ways to find new guests and stuff too so you know yeah, whatever what a- whatever sort of um you know uh i i have i have i feel like the cheat codes to that kind of stuff just yes, because of course like, you do of course for me do. a lot of the answer is like oh it's like i work here guy i work with. yeah it's funny actually uh for a long time the emerald city podcast i had just because like i was being me about it i had like a hard and fast rule that i would not have anybody on the show who had not worked or shopped at emerald city video right of course that that's a that's a good rule and it was it, it was a rule that I enforced with only a couple of exceptions through the first hundred episodes. And then after a hundred episodes, I was just kind of like, look, we've done a hundred episodes. The show is not a huge hit. So since it's just for my own entertainment anyway, now we're going to do it my way. <laughs> and and I relaxed a lot of the rules. But uh, the one the first guest that we had in like episode three and one of the very few people who was in the first two years of the show who had not been an Emerald city regular was a uh, Joshua Hell Fialkov. Yeah. My book writer. And he had just done, um, I always get the name wrong. Jeff Steinberg, uh, protector of earth. I think it's called, mm, I think uh, you're right. And, and it's about a guy who works at a video store and has to basically become green lantern. Um, <laughs> and, and they had, the week that I was launching the Emerald City podcast, they had announced like their Comic Con exclusives or something, and it was uh, the the Comic Con exclusive cover was made to look like the VHS of Home Alone, <laughs> where it's like Steinberg's in the middle with the Macaulay Culkin face, and then there are two aliens looking in through the windows behind him, and they had like uh, "Be Kind Rewind" stickers and a five day rental sticker and whatever else. And uh, and that was like that alone. I just looked at that cover and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to talk to these guys. That's uh, awesome. And I'll 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 leave you with this before you go to bed, because this was one of the, the story they shared with me that I thought was just great. OK, um, they they had worked at a Tower Records video store in um, in L.A. And so at one point they called this woman who had rented she was an actor's mom and she had rented a movie of her son's and it was late it was on the late list and they call this woman and it was like hi i'm so and so from tower records and i need to talk to you about insert name of the movie here and she immediately exploded at them because she didn't realize it was a late list call she thought it was like somebody using the like the fact that they had her phone number 
to try and like get at her kid. And so oh. she like, sprung into action to like be like, I can't believe you people would do that. And like just apparently went up one side of him and down the other. And then at the end, they were just like, but we just need you to bring it back to the store. It's four days late. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, which is apparently the experience of working at a video store in L.A. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. But uh but yeah, thanks very much for having me on. It's been a blast. Oh, this has been no, it's been an absolute. And like I said, I love I love when I have a guest on where I realize, holy crap, we could probably talk for six hours. Oh yeah, and that, and that means that I gotta have you back on. What it's it's one of those I'm actively not saying certain things because like because uh, we could go on for another hour about well, it. And also like as we're as we're like wrapping up and you're like oh we're just gonna have you on another time. It's like it suddenly occurred to me like there's there's like literally one sentence which is usually one of the first things that comes out of my mouth when I'm talking about the video store and I'm like no but we had a great conversation without it and now I can hold that for next time great and let's <laughs> let, let's schedule the next time as soon as possible yeah, so absolutely. even though you've plugged it um as we've been talking please this is your chance to 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 plug your stuff my friend yeah absolutely you can find me on twitter at russ burlingame which is r u s s b u r l i n g a m e that's really long, and I'm not going to repeat it. So uh, ECV underscore podcast is the Emerald City Video podcast, which is also emeraldcityvideo.net. And, uh, yeah, the, because it's been going for a long time now, you can find that on, like, Apple and, and Podbean and Stitcher and all those places that you go to get podcasts. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if, if you just go to my Twitter, you can find everything. You can, like, there's a link in there to a gigantic list of all the stuff that I've written for comicbook.com over the last 10 years. And there's links to the pod, the, the, uh, the Twitters for delicious flavor and Archie digest and Emerald city. So basically if you can figure out how to spell my name, you've, you've got the key <laughs> and, and I'll put it in the link and everything too, for this. So, uh, that might, it, it's been a while since I did one where we actually went around the table because usually now it's just me and the same two people all the time. But that, the, the, that's really long. I'm not going to repeat it. Used to be part of a script, and so it's not for your audience. It's just how I talk. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, uh, dude, Russ, thank you again for this. Yeah, this thanks so much. Awesome. Like I said, really, really a fun time having you, or being on. So, thanks very much. Hey, you, you just you just turned into a host there for a second. Exactly. Really fun time exactly. having you on. Crap, when was the last time I was a guest? Oh God. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's like when you're at the movie theater and it's like enjoy the movie. Yeah, you too. Oh. oh, I do that all. And, uh, may the force be with you, and also with you. Oh, yeah. oh crap! Oh no. <laughs> uh, See, anyway, um, growing up in a Catholic household—that's that's, that's yep. natural. So. Yep, we we lift up our hearts. We lift them up to Yoda. Oh crap! I did it again. <laughs> all right. Well, so th thank you, Russ, for being here and talking about this. And this won't be the last time you guys are hearing Russ. Right, so, uh, thank you for making it a talkbuster night or day wherever you're listening. And please be kind. Rewind.